Welcome back to Arts About. Show about art that's a work of art in and of itself. Does that make sense? Um, I think so. I think it's an overcomplication, though. Right. It's not a necessary one. It's a show about art, anyway. It is a show about art, and Arts About is brought to you by the generosity of the McClellan Sculpture Park and Gallery. And you're here in the Bendigo Studios at RPP with Cultural Sounding Board and Artist-in-Residence John Baird, the Thermodynamic, Mark Stewart, and me, Sally Bailey, for another week of stuff. Morning, Mark. Morning, John. Morning, Sally. Good morning. How are you all? Is everybody good? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are you going to be on about this week, John? I'm going to talk about the um, Mothman, Butterfly Man in oh. France. Oh, I don't even, I don't, no idea who that is. Do you know who that is, Mark? Uh, Jean Genet. No, 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 oh. to no one you know. This okay. is a man that I observed. Okay. Oh, how okay. lovely. Okay. Um, and what I'm about to, you, Mark? I'm going to ask a question. Do whales, uh, have whales evolved from dogs? Oh, oh interesting. Apparently, maybe Yes. Really? I always thought so, yes. I would have thought the other way around, personally. No, most people do, mm-hmm. but no. A lot, of, a lot of animals went into the sea. It was a better choice. Now, Sharks um, are called dogfish, of course. Mm. Has that got anything to do with what you're talking about? Mate? No, nothing at all. Sharks have nothing to do with it. <laughs> okay, all right. Uh, it has been ages, but we later on in the show we have our much-missed elder, Cliff Ellen, mm. is joining us to That's give exciting. us his view from the cliff, which will be really exciting. And we're also going to be talking to writer, director, actor and artistic director of Wyndham Theatre Company, Elaine Beek, whose play Point of No Return uh, is based on the true story of the British Empire's first attempt at rehabilitating boys in prison down in Tasmania. And it's coming to the Frankston Arts Centre on the 17th of August. Mm. Mm. And... I've got a couple of stories for you, John. Yeah. Yeah. Last week you mentioned two artists that were both missing from the MoMA um, touring show at the, NG, at the NGV. Uh, Motherwell, Robert Motherwell and de Kooning. What was de Kooning's first name? William. William de Kooning, of course. Um, uh, and there have been two incredible finds of both those artists' yeah. work over the last couple of weeks. Uh, and uh, the first one, Motherwell's, Robert Motherwell's, um, turned up in a... Uh, the, empl- the son of an employee of a moving company came into the um, the institute where they that they founded when Motherwell died to keep his legacy alive. I think it's called the, the Daedalus Foundation. Mm-hmm. Came took this painting that he had obviously in their family collection into the Daedalus Foundation to have it valued, and it was discovered to be a missing painting. Apparently, in something like 1937, uh, Motherwell was moving his storage facilities and employed a removalist company to take all his paintings away. And in the process, a couple of dozen of them went missing. <laughs> Can you believe that? A couple of dozen paintings went missing. And Well, he wasn't Motherwell at the time. He was just some guy who made paintings. I suppose so, but... Mm. Uh, you would have thought that there would have been that we may have heard something about that. Mm. Anyway, clearly well, not. It was a very noticed. long time ago. That he would have noticed. Motherwell. Well, you would think he would have noticed and made a bit of noise about it, don't you? Mm. And that that prosecutions would have followed or what about the Dakunings? Well, that's an incredible story too. Um, art dealer David Killen told the New York Post he'd found six works by William Dakuning in a storage locker in New Jersey that he had bid for in an auction. Um, apparently, um, this unit contained two hundred different works, 
but it was um, it was work that was collected by art conservator um, Oren Riley. Now I don't know who he is. Do you have you do you know? Anyway, he he died in the late eighties, and his uh, partner died in around about two thousand and ten, and so the work was was set up for auction and the executives of their estate unsuccessfully tried to return the leftover artworks to their original owners but um, eventually they, it was deemed abandoned and released for sale and, and this art dealer bought them not really knowing what was in there although I think he had seen the box named that had been uh, titled de Kooning and there was something like there were six of those in there and there was also a Paul Klee painting. Really? Yeah, they were unsigned but I think that you know the methods of being able to actually signatures aren't that important well, really in that area because mm. especially for the um, uh, Chinese when they make copies. However, true, yes, but modern. I've been digging so. around in a uh, few sort of likely places myself, really looking for stuff, and I found something, Sally, and yes. I'm going to give it to you as a gift. What is it? Oh my word! This is exciting. A gift on radio. Oh, it's a box. Oh, it's a box with a line on it. That's not a box. It's a it's a barnet. It's a Barnett Newman painting. A Barnett Newman painting. <laughs> Who's Barnett Newman? Barnett Newman's an American ab- ex-painter, and uh, he was in the show. Show it to Mark. Mark will appreciate that, I'm sure. Yes, very much so. <laughs> <laughs> they called, they, we they better called, take a photograph and put it online. They're called zip paintings. Ah, so, because I, I, you <clears throat> referred to a zip painting when we were at MoMA, and I said, what's a zip painting? Yeah. And this is a zip painting. It's a zip painting, everybody. And I, part of uh, what I wouldn't mind talking about today, if we get a chance at some stage, is that whole thing that Barnett Newman did, which was to refine composition down to a... Essentially what he'd do was put a, a vertical line on a rectangle mm-hmm. just off-centre and sometimes slightly out of perpendicular. Yes. And it's like... There is a whole history of a composition that goes all the way to that. That it's a, it's the final moment in composition. It's I think. it's a purest kind of yeah. um, end. Yeah, you know, all the way from those staircases that led up to the temple where the action was, so yep. that people knew what they were looking at, and the composition aided people to see what was the important bit where the action was. Yes, and then people like De Chirico who uh, made paintings where. You, the viewer, were kind of around the corner. The action was around the corner. You couldn't see what was going on because you're in the alleyway, you know. You don't know what's going on around there. And other painters, who, like landscape artists, who moved horizons around to make yep. where we were view, viewing the image from or the view from sort of more elevated or lower down. And they're all composition, compositional tricks. Mm-hmm. And uh, Newman, I think, just refined it down to the zipper. The zipper and yeah. and of One course must, mustn't forget Malevich. Who, oh, of course, yeah. Who was who, yeah. Uh, early on? They brought it back. I mean, abstraction had begun with with um, Oscar Kokos, not Oscar. Um, what was the German guy's name? I can't forget his name. But it had been going for quite a while, and then it descended into surrealism, and then it was reborn in in New York after the war. Mm-hmm. Well, those Malevichs were very early, though, weren't they? They were 1912, 1913. Mm-hmm. They were extraordinary early, in But he stopped doing them as well. Right. He did a few crosses, then he went on to his soldiers in very strange paintings. Mm-hmm. So is the, the, the point of, uh, of this composition that, that we're looking at now, which is not that good for radio? For well, the idea was flatness. It was completely flat. There was no <laughs> reference to anything but the colour and, and the space that you're in, in, in empty space. I mean, Roth- Rothko was doing a similar thing. Um, they were all, it was all about Clement Mead, uh, not Clement Mead, Clement, um, the um, critic, American Greenberg, yes. 
uh, who was saying that there's no more edges, there's, no, there's, there's nothing, it's just color, if you like, and a flat board, and that's it. Mm. So it was really, uh, but they couldn't say that because then they went to pop art and Andy Warhol and you know, off they went again. Barnett Newman's attitude was that you could move a line two inches to the west uh, and achieve a, uh, a remarkable frisson, you know, that if, just mm. because it's not in the middle and it's a little uh-huh. bit... Ah, it creates a tension. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's, there's a bit of tension in this one then, obviously. Yeah. Yes. I'm going to take a picture and uh, we'll put it up on the Facebook page so you can have a look at it, listeners. Okay, now I have a piece of music. It's from a band called Southern Culture on the Skids. It's a song called El Mysterioso. And uh, I think you'd describe this as southern, a southern fried amalgam of rockabilly, boogie, country, swamp, pop and surf guitar. Yeah. Here we go. Super. Yeah. You're listening to Arts About on RPPFM and on the line with us next this morning is writer, director, actor and founder of Essence Productions, Elaine Beek. Her play, Point of No Return, is on at the Frankston Arts Centre on August the 17th and Essence Productions and the the company she founded in 2003 brings to life Australia's pioneering stories. Since the company's inception, it's had a residency at Werribee Park from which her plays What Was That and Down to Earth bring life to the Churnside stories in the mansion they built and have been running there every weekend since uh, since then. Good morning, Elaine. Welcome to Arts About. Thank you, Sally. Um, Elaine, Point of No Return sounds like an extraordinary story, uh, not least because the treatment of youths in detention is still of great concern in the 2000s. What's yeah. happening here? What was happening here in Australia in the 1800s? Well, uh, Point Poor was the... It was built at Port Arthur in 1834, and it was actually the British government's first ever attempt at rehabilitating boys in prison. Prior to then, it was all about punishment. So Point Poor was a bit of an experiment, um, just to see, because the boys were actually separated from the men, so it was just boys, and they were also taught how to read and write and learn a trade, which had never been done before either. It's pretty, um, yeah, yeah, extraordinary uh, modern thinking, really, for that time, isn't it? It was. They were ahead of themselves but in the thinking, but uh, probably the execution didn't quite match what they were aiming, I think, partly because uh, lack of resources, so the boys ended up trying to build the barracks themselves, which became ramshackle, broken-down things, and also the... They didn't really ever get in proper teachers or there were very few and far between. So they would often just use prison guards, ex-prison prisoners from Port Arthur to become their so-called teachers or guards. So mm. it was just, um, yeah, highly untrained and attitudes were not good. And there was a lot of practices that happened that weren't, um, they weren't managed well. Weren't, no, a lot happened that the government weren't, wasn't aware of. Yeah, you know, cruelty and way too much punishment, and um, yeah. So well, the penal the system was there, it wasn't really executed that well. <laughs> no, the penal system wasn't really known for its compassion. Who, who were the luminaries? Were the, are we aware that who were the people that really were behind this rather innovative idea for the times? Um, I haven't. There's more. Um, I don't know the actual like names mm-hmm. of the ministers that had the idea. It was uh, like who all I've ever 
in my research is that it was a collective decision um, and that would be actually a whole interesting process in the, in itself to convince the parliament that that was the way to go so um, that's another play. <laughs> mm, uh, yes I guess it is it is fascinating tell me can you give our listeners a synopsis of, of Point of No Return? Yeah so Point of No, Point of no Return starts with it, it's based around five youths at the early opening of Point Poor and basically it's how they struggle to survive together. So it's all about the gang mentality and how um, they support each other or not. So there's a lot of power struggles and, um, yeah, fighting. But then there's a lot of comedy as well, as users will find humour in lots of different situations. But the other character is, so there's four you, sorry, and then there's the guard, Hawkins, and he's in an interesting position because he has sort of been given the task of looking after the leader of the group Red uh, as well as being a guard so he's often torn between punishing them and looking after them so it's how the five of them sort of work it out together but you have to see the play to see if they do or not <laughs> so yeah it's um your company it's a very dynamic play it's very physical uh and words people have often used when they've seen it is riveting um, enthralling so um, which is really good and that's what we aim to do well yes that's very it is very interesting there's a mandate you've given yourself with essence productions which is to bring to life historical pioneering stories of australia yeah yeah because yes, so it, um and i try to find um stories that are uh, not so well known um, and this one, I think, that was what fascinated me with uh, Point Poor because I didn't even know it existed. I, everybody knows about Port Arthur and Ned Kelly yes, and the Gold right. You know, we've got, and they're amazing stories, but this was something, I think, really unique. But, you know, if you imagine boys between 10 years old and 20 being put on a prison hulk and sent over by themselves, I find, I just, I think it's, one, it's horrific, but also many of them did manage to survive. And it's like, how did that happen? Yes. And the play explores that. So it, it, there's a sense of hope in the play because mm. many did survive. Did, um, is, it, is it apparent when you go down to visit Port Arthur that, that this uh, establishment was even there? Because I've been there, but it doesn't ring, it's not ringing any it's bells a in my head. Tour. So when you go to Port Arthur, your admission price doesn't include the trip to Point Poor, but Point Poor is actually on a peninsula directly opposite Port Arthur. So you actually get on a little boat and you go over there and a guide takes you. You can't just go there yourself and wander around. It's part of a separate tour. So you could easily... um, Yeah, it's not uncommon that people go to Port Arthur and don't actually experience the Point Poor tour. Mm. Now, you're two, you, you have two other plays that have been running since 2003, which is an extraordinary story in itself. Again, they're both historical stories that, are, yeah. uh, that work out of Werribee Mansion, don't they, and tell the story a bit of, of yes. both the Churnside family and the mansion are two, I think. Yes, so um, there, the, so I have two plays. The one performed in the historic mansion is based on the true story of the Churnside family, who were one of our most wealthiest squatters in the 19th century. 
And the, the fascinating story was with them, like many squatters, they didn't come over to Australia with huge amounts of money, but they made it rich over here. And then they desperately tried to become the landed gentry that they were aspiring to that was in England. But Australia, having the tall poppy syndrome, didn't quite... If you weren't born into it, you weren't really accepted. So they copped a lot through the media and newspapers at the time, um, not scoffing at them, but kind of trying to pull them down. Um, so that's a really fascinating story. But they lived the upstairs, downstairs lifestyle in the mansion. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the play, what was that, has a scary element as well. But it, it's really about that lifestyle. Um, and then the other play, Down to Earth, we actually perform at the farm at Werribee Park. So that's set pre-mansion days. And that's about life at the farm. Uh, before the mansion was built, but still owned by the Chernside. So different characters, different story. Mm. Um, and, I, and I try to, as much as they're all based on history, my aim is to make them really entertaining because I find people, one, they remember history more that way and it's just encourages people to come out and see it rather than get a history lesson or something or a tour. Mm. They actually... Um, there's a lot of comedy, the scary elements amongst all the history. So, yeah. So your plays have had a permanent setting in the past because they've been site-specific. Um, this play is slightly different, isn't it? Because it's from, well, certainly it's from Tasmania. Uh, but yeah. you're also, so far I believe that you've been playing around, you're playing around Victoria. Are you likely to yes. get it to, into its uh, home location, do you think? Uh, sorry, what was the last question? Are you likely to get it to, uh, playing down at in Tasmania? It sounds like a Monty to actually... Well, that's my aim, absolutely. Mm. Yeah, I'd love to do it there. Um, so uh, I'm just going to... We've already been booked for Albury Entertainment Centre ne- in July next year. And so after this tour is over, um, I'm going to be... Yes, we have to kind of get go through the rungs first and then I'll be going back to Tasmania and trying to encourage them to help us get over there to perform it in Tassie. Yeah, well, it sounds like a, a it's an absolute uh, a shoe-in for something like that. It sounds wonderful. It's on at the Frankston Art Centre. That's Point of No Return, written by Elaine and directed by Elaine Baker. Are you in this production, Elaine? Because I do know you no, act as well. No, I'm not in it. It's all uh, four very... In fact, I've got an cre- incredible cast, four youths and one... Uh, Phil Cameron Smith, who plays Hawkins, who's their guard. It sounds like an incredible production. I'm looking forward to seeing it. Thank you very much for talking to us about it on Arts About Today. That is uh, Elaine Beek we've been talking to, and her production, Point of No Return, is on at the Frankston Arts Centre on August the 17th. Thank you so much for talking to us today, Elaine. Thank you, Sally. Bye. Bye-bye. Here, have a listen to this. This is funkadelic guitarist Eddie Hazel with his version of California Dreaming. You're back listening to Arts About on RPPFM, and now it's time for actor, blogger, and much missed regular on Arts About. Cliff N. Ellen is joining us this morning for his view. Good morning, Cliff. Welcome back. Good morning, Sally, and good morning, John. And is that fella called Mark? Or He's Mark? called Mark, yeah. yeah. Morning, Cliff. That's hard to remember. Did you take your Valium this morning, Cliff? I didn't. I didn't. No, I'm suffering from uh, depression today. Oh, dear. Uh, disassociation. I oh, think what are you disassociating with? Well, I remember it was about six years ago, Andrew Essing 
Horson or something, who's a rugby league blonde uh, footballer champion, and he was caught in a relationship with his uh, best friend and teammate's wife. And he uh, pleaded uh, that he was suffering from depression called disassociation. Oh. So I thought it was rather handy. I mean, everybody's got depression these days. Yes, they do. I mean, there's a thousand. In fact, when I get home... I might look up disassociation because it struck me that it might be good. Might be it useful. It means you take your best friend's wife, does it? <laughs> I, think, be nice. I think it's just a good excuse <laughs> yeah, well, well, for not yeah. being responsible yeah, for your yeah, own yeah. behaviour. Well, the yeah, AFL footballers did that too, and he's back now, apparently. Uh, yeah. But mm. No, I did. I wrote to the local paper. Yeah. Because we've got a dolphin in Rye. Have you seen that lovely dolphin? Oh, the, the, the carved one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm not fond of that dolphin. Well, I, I, I'm say it plain. I've, I've sent a, a letter to them, as I, I do quite often, and uh, I've got a picture of the dolphin. I'm suggesting it be replaced with a jet ski. Oh, because there's much more of jet those. Ski. <laughs> I, I, I put a big picture of a jet ski. That's a brilliant idea. I thought, well, you know, yeah. with the sound, with the well, sound. Well, as well. we're having a, a third uh, area for the jet skis to go in. Yep. And 95% of the people that go in on these jet skis are, are not locals, but the vast majority of locals don't want the jet mm. skis. Mm. So I just thought it's a good idea, and I'm sure they won't print it. <laughs> <laughs> do you, but, think, do you no. think they'll hear the tongue-in-cheek? Well, I write, I write to them every, you know, about mm. once a week, and uh, sometimes I test them, and sometimes they print them, which shocks me, but yeah. most of the time they think I'm an idiot. But that's, that's the way it goes. Well, yeah, I'm sure there's lots of people think we're idiots as well. Sometimes we are. Mm. I've got a few complaints. I've yeah? Jack Irish, television. Yes. I know you people have high arts, but don't talk low arts. No, we like the, uh, we like the television. I like Jack Irish. Yes. Well, there's two people in, what's her name? Uh, what's the name of the blonde girl? Dusseldorf. Oh, yes. Um, she, she, she keeps saying uh, Fitzroy. Look, it's Fitzroy. It's Fitzroy. Yeah, she's got it wrong. If you live in Sydney and you're coming down to Melbourne to do a show, for God's sakes, at least learn how to pronounce the suburbs. The other fellow, uh, Roy Billing... Does she say Footscray or Footscray? (laughs) The other fellow, he says Ballarat. It's Ballarat. Yeah. And for goodness sake... It's most annoying. Otherwise, it's all right, apart from the fact that Shane... I yeah, I got caught out calling Clovelly Cloverly and uh, I think Coogee, Coogee or something. Yeah. I mean, and I got sort of rounded up in Sydney by getting their uh, suburbs wrong. In yeah, fact, the finger pointed <clears throat> at me. Did you? <clears throat> Excuse me. If you're a professional actor, for God's sake, so you've, got to, you've got to, you know, have a look at your dialogue. But, uh, so what aren't I allowed to call Fitzroy? Fitz, what does she say, Marta Dusseldorf? What does she Fitzroy. say? Fitzroy. Fitzroy. The yeah, emphasis Fitzroy. is in the wrong place. Yes. Yeah. I, li- I, li- I live close to North Fitzroy, so yeah. I, Fitzroy, I, I know Marta. how to pronounce it. If I go to Sydney, I'll be able to pronounce Sydney and Manly, all sorts of things <laughs> like that. Bondi. Yeah. But, uh, but Shane Jacobson's in it too, and we all love him, don't we? Well, <laughs> you love him, don't I have you? A great love. <laughs> he had a show on the other night. What was it called? Oh, God, I'd have to look at my notes here. I can't. The Real Full Monty. Oh, yeah. It was on Channel 7. Oh. I don't know. Well, they, therein lies the problem. Well, I Channel heard, 7. I heard it rated beautifully. Oh, everybody watched it. Did you watch it? I watched four minutes to have a look at uh, one of the footballers in it. Uh, 
but I noticed it was a Shane's show and uh, I thought, no, it's an- another suck-in. So uh, I gave that a miss. Mm, okay. Oh, yes. I'm only complaining today. You asked me to come in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We like a complaint. It's all complaints. Yeah, okay. Poldark. Oh. You ever watch Poldark? No. Is there a new series of Poldark? It, fini- I... it finished last night. Oh, did it? We yes. can all stand up and cheer. It's been going on for about four years. Oh, my he's, goodness, has it really? He's a, a wonderful man with wonderful principles. He's been uh, spotted around Rye. Yeah, because he was in Melbourne on a, doing on a jet ski, or? not on a jet ski, no. but and I think he was living in Arai for a while. Who is he? The guy was Paul Dark. Yeah, I do know. And I don't he even came know. out here to do a TV show out here. Yeah, he spent a lot of time down on the peninsula, apparently. Ah, well, I missed him. Yeah. Yes. Well, that so fellow, the that fellow that ca- uh, captains the uh, Gold Coast Suns, uh, he's been at Blair Gowrie. They've been chasing oh. him yesterday, yeah. apparently. Mm can come to a Melbourne club. So mate, perhaps the peninsula is uh, the place for uh, important people to hide out. It has if a very good reputation. Out, I would have uh, gone up to him and shook hands and said, hello. Would, would you? you? <laughs> is it a good series? Uh, oh, my daughter loves it. And yeah. I watch it. Uh, it's all right. It's all right, but it's uh, the evil people. You know, yes, so. I only remember it from I think it's eighties incarnation, which was uh, a very long time ago. I think yeah. it's got yeah. a fair bit of kind of windy coastline. It's a bit Heathcliff, isn't it? Yeah, you know, red-haired girls with their bosoms and, out and their dresses blowing in the wind and, and the and surf and crashing on the rocks right. below them, that kind of thing. And yeah. does Poldark wear a sort of a pirate white pirate shirt with frills on it? No, he a puffy shirt. Poldark. <laughs> Came home from the American Wars. Ah, uh, in the first one he had a white kind of flouncy shirt yeah, and well, a ponytail. And great, I won't go into the story. No, it's, okay, fair it's enough. Too, uh, it's too boring, you know. But, Have uh, you been to the theatre at all, Cliff? No, mm-hmm. uh, I, I have got somebody to take me up to Melbourne if there's something I really want to see. Yep. Generally cost me two tickets. Yep. But uh, it's worth it. Yeah. But... Uh, no, I'll probably go to the Southern Peninsula Arts Centre and see the kids' show, which is on in about two weeks. You know, the six formers do their annual uh, musical. Oh. Uh, and I like that. I generally go on the last night. Bit of a problem because all the mothers are there taking yes. pictures. But it's the best show because they've had a Saturday afternoon show and they go into Saturday night yep. and they're full of beans yeah, as they're called from last show. Yeah. So I sort of get a, a, a bit of a thrill to see them have a go. Yeah, it's you know? lovely, isn't it? It's interesting. We were just talking to a woman called Elaine Beek who has written and directed a play that's going on there in a couple of weeks as well called Point of No Return, which is about a rehabilitation penal colony next to Port Arthur. Have you ever heard about that? They re- were rehabilitating young boys down there in the 1800s. No, I haven't heard of it. Have mm. I read about it? Well, I'd never, I'd never heard it the story at all. Apparently, it's uh, a. It seems sure she hasn't made it up. Well, I'm not sure. Yeah. No. Well, and there was another one I wanted to see the Oscar Wilde thing too at the MTC. I'm going to see that which one? this oh. evening. Which which one? Um, an uh, ideal husband. Oh, yeah. Lovely. Yes. Funny. Well, that was interesting. Jeffrey Rush was originally cast in that, wasn't he? No, he was going wasn't to be he? in the Twelfth Night, which is on later on in the year, and I bought tickets That's for right. that as well. And that he's he's been removed from that, or he's yeah, but also out. in Twelfth Night was Christy Wilhelm Brown, wasn't she? Not sure. I think she I was. Think so yeah, and, she's and that's the one. interesting because she's the one that's connected up with Craig McLaughlin. Yeah, exactly. And I, I thought, 
That'll be interesting. He's oh, not doing it. No, he's not doing it now. The rehearsal day one. What? What? I suppose Jeffrey would be a gentleman. He's always a gentleman, anyway. Yeah, I would have thought I so. I mean, I'm a great fan of this. But there is one other thing I want to talk yes. about. Yes. you want to me up there. Yeah. No, no, no. I've noticed something about once you get to 82. And you know the old story about uh, fantasies being a refuge from the real life? You ever heard of that? Yeah. People, yeah, yes, most of course. people have fantasies and they're a refuge sort of in the real life. I've discovered it, it's true when you get to my <laughs> Because <laughs> you? You, you can be watching some stupid show. At night time I watch television. I don't watch it in the daytime. But say I'm watching Midsummer Murders, right? Yes. And uh, something will happen, will peak my brain. And I may pause the show, but probably not. And I'll probably sit there for about four or five minutes fantasising about whatever it is. <laughs> I may even make a cup of tea or something. Yep. And I'll go back. I'll probably continue to watch Midsummer Murders Missing Nothing. No, that's exactly right, because it's on. the same formula every time. But, but the point is, the older you get, when yes. you get to my age, there's very much the chance of the fantasy becoming the reality oh. rather than the other way around. Is that a good thing, do you think? Well, it's not too bad. Not too bad, exactly. At all. <laughs> Has it got anything to do with the Valium, do you think? No, no I, I only take a, a two-mil Val if I find I can't sleep right. because it helps me sleep. But that's about all. But uh, no, 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 I don't think I've got much else to say of. Well, it's lovely having you back. It's great to have you have your voice on the program again, Cliff. One thing. Yes. You played a song last week. Oh, what was it? Uh, it's All Over Now, Baby Blue. Yes, by, mm. with Van Morrison. Yeah, well, you, that's not the right one. You oh, here, well, you know what? I've got another song now. You're going to complain about this one as Who well. Wrote the other because song? this one is was yeah. Nancy Sinatra. Originally, you probably know the Nancy Sinatra version of the, of These Boots Are Made For no, Walking. This is, <clears throat> this, this is this is No, this oh. is Parquet Courts with their version. Here we go. Thanks for coming in, Cliff. Pleasure. Thank you. We didn't get bit of a time pressure time. today, Mark. Yes, John. So uh, I'm going to. Uh, I'm not going to shorten what I'm going to say. Well, I am going to shorten it, but in. It'll still be just oh, as look, interesting. Oh look, I don't know what's just going talk. to happen. Don't worry no. about it. I'm yeah. not too concerned. Yeah, it's always next. When I was living in, uh, and uh, I know I'm going to get the pronunciation wrong, Melun, 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 in France, uh, yes. at a little studio apartment. And uh, there was a back window. Out the back window was a ruined church. And all that was left of it were the four walls and a, uh, a gate or a doorway. Out. It was a little park kind of set up within these walls. Uh, and the whole thing had a kind of a flagstone floor in it. And I watched out the window doing, not painting, looking out the window... And there was this old guy who was always hanging around, a kind of homeless character. And he went in there and I watched him go in there and he started collecting cardboard boxes and he built this kind of, in the corner of one of the, um, there's two, sto of the walls in the, in the corner of one of the old building without the roof, he built this kind of igloo out of cardboard boxes, uh, they were leaning up into the corner with a little hole where he could come in and out. Uh, then he started collecting rubbish and uh, he had a bucket and he'd get mud from down at, on the river and he'd mix the 
mud with rubbish and sort of smear it all over the outside of this little dwelling that he'd built. The local people, I might add, used to come by and leave uh, like meals for him outside the little hole where he came in, in and out of it. And he built this cocoon. Really? Yeah, and it, it was cut, in the end he was just smearing mud over the outside of it, but it was made out of cardboard boxes. It would have been very warm inside, well insulated, covered in mud on the outside. Mm-hmm. looked like a wasp's nest or something. Mm. And he was coming and going out of a little hole down near the bottom. And in the spring, of course, the thing burst open and he came out with a giant pair of butterfly wings. <gasps> it's all true except for the last bit. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I thought it was a performance piece. I was, I was going to believe you. It's uh, like in Italy, in France and Italy, they let a lot of the mad people out. And people just, if they're not dangerous, and people just look after them. And give yeah, them food feed and them. Feed them and give yeah. them places to stay. It's, it's lovely. Hmm. Uh, okay, so Christie's made um, global sales of $5.4 billion in the first half of 2018. Christie's auction houses. Christie's auction houses. So is that $5.4 art? billion, yes. That was mostly the Rockefeller estate. Um, Picasso's young girl with the flower basket, $84 million. Monet's um, water lilies, $80 million. And the Matisse reclining nude, same, around $80 million. So there was oh. a, But the, the art market is booming. Apparently. Well, that end of it is. That end of it is. Yeah. So I went to the Menzies auction house on Sunday in San oh, yeah. you know, in their new yeah, buildings, yeah. a lovely place. Menzies. Menzies. Yes. And I was um, an older man with dyed hair who, I don't know who he is, shook my hand mm-hmm. and then which aroused my suspicions. And then a young... Was it the dye or was it... Uh, with the dye, yeah, the dye yeah, head never works. It's, never, it's not a good look. It's not good, is it? Um, and, the, and then a young girl gave me a glass of champagne and canopies, which aroused my suspicions also right why why um, are you suspicious of champagne and well, a hair dye <laughs> <laughs> at 10 o'clock in the morning on a sunday morning yes but right. uh, yes. anyway that was you know the champagne's obviously to loosen your your wallet yeah yeah um but on the cover of their catalog was a brett whiteley dove a blue dove oh, yeah. which they're oh. asking 450 to 550 million ink Million, that million. Oh, Sorry, no. thousand, thousand, yeah. oh. excuse me. Sorry. Oh, I really had a it's, palpitation. It's a 30 by 30 by 5 little box right. with this little blue painted yeah. dove. Is it nice? Um, look, it looks like a, a kindergarten work or something. It mm. looks like it's got some twigs and a bit of cotton wool and, and a bit of fluffy feathers. Perspex box with pers- a... a, a a picture and some objects in there. In in there, and it's. I've just found. You know, I knew how much I love Brett. I really mm. do and respect him. But this is really just a shouldn't be shouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. But I found there were uh, some pro heart in there as well, which did, I think. Would, so did they bid on it? No, it's just showing what's going to be auctioned in Sydney. Oh, next, right. I think it's next week. Right. Uh, and there was some pro heart in there, which uh, I think should just be burnt. I don't know right. if anybody can buy or sell pro heart these days. Pro heart gave me a Bible with a little painting in the front page. Do you rip out the page and I the Bible? It. <laughs> it's interesting because Will, Will has argued with me about that because they don't appeal to me either, those images of pro oh. But what he does say is that, it, that he was part of a movement of painting things that occurred in a life that was out there in, in Broken Hill yeah. that was kind of worth documenting. Was it really? Well... Pretty boring. He may have been making paintings as if he were a naive artist, mm-hmm. but he certainly wasn't. No. No, no, look, it's a, they, they just don't work. They're really bad paintings. Yeah. I don't care how... He was very good at promoting it. himself, in other words. But, yeah, I, I do respect that, that aspect. Anyway, there was um, the Tim Story of Burnt Sunset, 
Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. On rope, just another one. No rope, no, but lots of flames and things. Mm. And a lot of very bad Aboriginal art. Right. Which um, I went walked then walked through the Domain Gardens and mm -hmm. um, there's some magnificent trees in the, those gardens. Oh my goodness, yes, yeah, there are just magnificent. And then into the Linden, the oh yeah, you went went to there. The, yeah, yeah. Great. I have, every time I go there, there's just more tediously bad Aboriginal art. Oh, so you didn't I'm, like it? These are the two. This is the mother daughter yeah, duo that's yeah. on there at the moment. Just bad. Just nothing to them. Really? I'm, 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 look, there is you know there is some very good Aboriginal art around, but there's just a lot of very very bad stuff as well. Well, one of those, um, the, I think it was the mother, Puna, her, one of her works is in the National Works on Paper. Did you The blue one. Yes. Did you oh, realise exactly, that? Exactly the same thing, yeah. No, yeah. the blue and white just doesn't work for me. It's not a good mix of colours. Mm. It doesn't work at all. I thought, I found it interesting that that uh, classically Indigenous drafting style had been um, applied with a blue and white palette and it just kind of looked Different to me, and I mm. sort of—I was uh, actually—I was engaged by it. Oh, really? I, I quite liked yeah. it too. No, I yes, I find blue in that sense just not, and white. I find it very. Um, there's no depth to it at all. No warmth. It's very mm. cold. Gee, you're sort of dismissing a large part of Western culture there. Not at all, John. No, I'm talking about blue and, <laughs> and white and as by themselves. By themselves, yeah, obviously. Yeah. A, you know, a blue is a. Re I love a blue. It's not just a, an acrylic blue or synthetic blue. They've just whipped onto a piece of canvas. Yeah, there's lots it's of blue and white that, stuff. There is. There, there ha you know, it has to be built up. It's not just one colour. I think it needs to be built up. It's too flat. What about Delft ceramics and, you know, sort of that whole... Well, that's a build-up. There's layers upon layers upon layers. It anyway, just keeps, yeah. move on. I'm moving on. So the War Memorial mm -hmm. is magnificent with its sunken gardens. Oh, yeah. I yeah. love it. I the think shrine. It's the, the shrine is just yes. an extraordinary building. Mm -hmm. And then you've got the botanical gardens, which are basically a, a Germanic um, romantic response to what was originally a cesspool where the last remaining Aborigines were living until they were moved out to Hillsville. Until Von Mueller arrived. arrived and they were kicked out. But apparently it was a nightmare situation. Um, well, I didn't get to the whales yet. No. But, um, are gonna we are going to run out. No, gonna we've run out of time. I'll, we'll have I'll to do, do whales next, next time. So yeah, next are, are whales descended from dogs? We'll look forward uh, to that. They, what looks like dogs? Ah, you see, that's if you look into, a trick If you question. look into deeply into a seal's eyes, do you, don't you see a, Absolutely. Sort of a Labrador there? Yes, I do. I agree I've never you. looked deeply into a seal's eyes, I must admit. Oh, dear. Oh, well. I've well, missed then. those opportunities, but I'll be looking for it in the future. Good, John. Bring out the romantic in you. <laughs> I am so not good at the knobs today. I'm not doing a very good job on the uh, music. But hark, it's time for the news. That is the news music. It is the news music. Point of No Return, Elaine Beek's play is on at the Frankston Arts Centre on the 17th of August. You can go to the Frankston Arts Centre's website for tickets. MPRG, your local regional gallery, has works on paper, the prize, uh, until September the 9th. And really worth going and having Definitely. a look at that. Very good show. Very well, well hung. Uh, San Mistrum, is it? San Black, Mistrum, yes. Black, I, yes. Black Paintings has opened at McClelland, as has Annette Warner's Atlas of Memory, revisualising re Gordon Ford's Natural Australian Garden. Mm. And don't forget their new exclusive watercolour award, Splash, is still open for entry. Yeah, yes. I might enter that. Might you? Yes. Yeah. And I'm going to go and have a look at those black paintings. Yeah. Yes. I we like do. a black painting. I, me too. Mm. Uh, okay, different, well, different from a blue black. painting. The, well, it depends on how many, depths, yes, how okay. many layers there are. Yes, right. true. Um, now also, um, 
Audible P invites all our listeners, friends and supporters to a fundraising car rally Sunday, October the 7th, uh, leaving Audible P Studio Car Park and 91 Wilson's Road with a staggered start beginning at 8am. Uh, visiting places of interest around the peninsula and the final destination is the Red Hill Baker of Belmaring for jazz and prizes. $50 a person, minimum two. Uh, so Children take your are car. free? Children are free, that's right. It Dogs could be a family, yep. a family vote. I'm sure you could take your dog yeah. if you wanted to, yes. Hmm. Not your wheel. Bistro Elba in Sorrento, in partnership with Antipodes Gallery, are having another literary lunch on August the 17th with author, advocate and lawyer Shireen Morris talking about her book Radical Heart, her personal story of her seven years working alongside Noel Pearson. Yeah. Please contact, uh, contact Bistro Elba and we're going to be talking to Matthew from Bistro Elba next week to hear a little bit more about the series. About that series, yes, that's right. Uh, Swingman Damien Callanan's new show is on at the FAC. That's Com- the Frankston Art Centre. Right. Comedy, dance and swing music, Sunday 12th of August at 7.30. Go to the F- Frankston Art Centre for... Uh, what? Tickets. Tickets, right. Yeah. Uh, Black Design Matters, a national survey of contemporary Indigenous design curated by Jeff Greenaway, uh, including fashion, interiors and product design to landscape, architecture and town planning. The exhibited projects will interrogate how Indigenous design is defined, received and made visible in Australia's contemporary design landscape. Asking the question, what is meaningful Indigenous design and why does it matter?